Sexual sin is a major problem even within the Christian church. And a lot of the resources that we have available to us tend to focus on stopping the bad sexual behavior, behavior modification, kind of white knuckling it through. And it leaves us frustrated. My name is Asher Whitmer. And a few years ago, I wrote Live Free because I thought our people needed a tool to help them do more than just try harder put in roadblocks. This book unpacks the underlying issues that get us involved in sexual sin and how we can find not freedom, not just freedom from the problem, but what it looks like to actually live free in all areas of life. I've sold a couple thousand copies of the book and the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. People have found genuine freedom. But one of the things I've heard a lot of is a desire for a resource that could accompany this that you could take small groups through. So I invited a couple guys to come to this lodge in beautiful Colorado, and we recorded a video series that helps small groups go through the process of finding true lasting freedom, not just behavioral modification, but we work through the underlying issues that cause us to get into sexual sin and what are the pieces necessary to develop a whole and healthy life that we can live free from sexual sin going on into the future. In addition, we created a bunch of resources to help facilitators and teachers lead people through this process. If you have a heart for helping people overcome sexual addiction of any kind at any level, but you're not exactly sure how to do that or what steps you need to take, this whole course has the resources, the tools that you need to facilitate that and guide them through the process. So we have video lessons that you watch and you work through and then discussion that you see and watch happen with a workbook and specific questions to help you reflect on your stories and then discussion questions to help create real relationship and community. And we have even instructional videos for those of you leading this course so that you know how to generate the conversation that actually gets to the root of the problem. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a theologian, a teacher. All you need is a heart to help people find lasting freedom. And this course will walk you through that process. We believe at the end of this, you'll not just be a group of guys who are batting a round ideas about a common issue you're dealing with, but you'll actually be genuine friends. You'll know each other's stories in a way that maybe nobody else knows. And you'll have a community that you can begin walking through all of life. You can buy it online at asherwhitmer.com. We know that sexual sin is a big issue and that sometimes it can feel overwhelming to know how to walk people through it. And our desire is that this course can do just that for you so that in your community, you can begin seeing transformed lives of people who are living free. We also have bonus content available. You'll hear the life stories of the different guys involved in the course. We have articles that expound on some of the topics addressed in the course. And we have FAQs and so much more that will help you get to the bottom of the issue. Hello, friends. If you have been blessed by the work of Unfeigned Christianity, whether through the blog or the podcast, and you would like to support the work or you'd like to go deeper, then I invite you to consider becoming a member of Unfeigned Christianity on Patreon. What the membership gives you access to is monthly Q&A episodes. It gives you access to deep dive essays where we take a particular issue and open it up even further and dive in with 
some of the nuance and complexities. It gives you access to guided studies. This first quarter of 2024, we'll be doing a guided study at what it looks like to become a healthy disciple of Christ, how to overcome habitual sin, how to interact with scripture in our spiritual formation journeys, how to deal with baggage from our past and and what it looks like to value and pursue emotional and mental well-being. All of that is made available through the Unfeigned Christianity membership. There are five different tiers of membership. And if you're interested and would like to learn more, just click the link in our description or go to asherwhitmer.com forward slash member and you'll see the different tiers and everything you get with each one. Thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of this work. Jumping in here in the middle, I know we're in the middle of working through the Finding My Place in God's Story Module 1, but I wanted to take some time and just respond to some feedback and questions that I've gotten in response to an article that I published recently. It was actually an excerpt of a deep dive essay that I've done on navigating pronouns, Christianity and Uh, transgender identity navigating the pronoun conversation. I yanked an excerpt out of that, specifically talking about the posture of pronoun hospitality, and I shared that on the blog for uh, public consumption, and have, have gotten some feedback in that I thought, well, maybe I'll take some time to just do a video podcast here responding to those questions specifically. I have responded to them individually on the comment threads or via email. But I specifically, there's a couple things that were brought up and and I want to clarify. I guess there's maybe two main things I would like to clarify. Um, first of all, so I'm, I'm going to dive into, I'll just dive into one of the biggest questions that, that I got or statement it wasn't really posed as a question but a statement um and then maybe respond to some of the questions that were a little a little more um i I mean no question is small but maybe it wasn't quite as weighty as as the initial statement so i i had one individual respond to me saying that they were disappointed that I did not start with the prerogatives and claims and the glory of the Creator God as it relates to the issue of sexuality. God having made man male and female for his own purposes and glory. And uh, he goes on to say, we can't equivocate all we want on the vagaries of language and its gradual changes. But that doesn't touch the matter of whether or not we acknowledge the fundamental matter of the created dichotomy of the sexes that activists are seeking to blur. And sadly, that many Christians are also helping to blur. Um, just just as a, a starting place, I assumed that people following my blog have read most or all of my work on sexuality and gender. 
So this article does not start with the basic fundamentals of mankind. This article is specifically interacting with the question, is it sinful, as but Rosaria Butterfield has claimed, to use transgender pronouns. She calls them transgender pronouns. Uh, I'm not, other than her, I'm not aware. I don't, I'm not aware of anybody who identifies as transgender calling them transgender pronouns. They're preferred pronouns. Like, how do you prefer to be called? Um... Is that sinful? She claims it's sinful. She has made some, quite frankly, dishonest statements about people like Mark Yorhouse, Preston Sprinkle, the the work at Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender on what they believe and who who holds to a very similar view as she does on marriage and the the fact that there are two genders, male and female. But they also hold a posture of pronoun hospitality for a variety of reasons. And I I walk through those reasons in the article. So I did not, first of all, the article that I shared is an excerpt of a larger deep dive essay that is available to members. So I think I shared 2,300 words and the whole essay is close to 6,000 words, if I remember correctly. Um, But then secondly, even that essay is not is not a complete that is specifically interacting with this question of what to do with pronouns so i assumed as i'm pretty sure my members are well aware of that i my starting place is absolutely god has made man male and female for his own purposes and glory i mean for his glory for his own purposes maybe adds adds a a weird phraseology that that could be taken a variety of different ways and isn't necessarily, at least in Genesis. Um, But yeah, God has made man, male and female. And man, like all of creation, is for his glory. It is good. It is good that man is man, that women are women, that female is female. So this isn't a question like this we're we're interacting with what to do with someone when they ask to go by a preferred pronoun we're not asking are there more than one gender we're not asking like is there more to the makeup of mankind than just a basic female and female biological makeup and this leads to another the another comment or the second thing I would like to clarify is this is not at all discussing does he him refer to man to biological men does she her refer to biological females 100% yes right like he him are is a reference to biological men right she, her, is a reference. I have to be very thoughtful in getting my pronouns correct. Um, our reference. We're we're not saying that. Oh, you can use she to refer to. It can actually mean biological man. No, this the question is when we're engaging people who are specifically choosing to identify as something that is different than their biological makeup is that sin and 
I'm, I'm just going to point to the article for a further explanation. I do, um, I do give a much fuller explanation because I, 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 I think I mentioned at the very end of the, is it sinful to use transgender pronouns? But at the end of that article, I mentioned that there's, there are a few situations where I would not recommend using pronoun hospitality. And I share more in depth that in the deep dive essay. It's a fairly raw conversation, a complex conversation. So that is available for members if you if you want to. I mean, in all honesty, if you want to read the article, you can sign up for a seven day free trial. Um, but that is that is a part of the membership program. There are some situations where I would not recommend using it is is um, specifically with people dealing with rapid onset gender dysphoria. And this is most common among youth. So youth not using it um, where, yeah, where they themselves are sorting through so many in, in our youth, there's so many emotions and feelings and baggage, even familial baggage that you don't even realize you're living from until you become an adult and get out in the world around a little bit. Um, and there's two responses that we can have towards familial baggage. Sometimes we just blindly live in it and we kind of carry that into our adulthood. Other times we have this sharp reaction to it and we don't realize how maybe actually it wasn't as bad as we thought originally until we get out and bump around in the world a little bit with other people and, and other experiences. Um, so I don't recommend encouraging young people to encouraging them in that way by using their preferred pronouns. The other thing is I have not had to deal with this as, as a parent. I'm dealing with this as somebody relating with peers, talking with peers, walking alongside other people. And so I do think the conversation is quite a bit different for parents than it is for peer-to-peer relationships, specifically because parents have the role of teaching and training and guiding. And I know a number of parents who who do not, they they cannot feel good in their conscience to embrace pronoun hospitality. And I, quite frankly, I support that. I don't, like, these are messy situations. I'm not, I'm not going to come in here and say, like, oh, you're sinning if you don't honor it. Not at all. I'm just, I'm just saying, wait a second. When you see Rosaria Butterfield and that crowd kind of using this mantra that it's sinful to use pronoun, preferred pronouns, say, wait a second. Hold on here. Like, are, are we sure we want to go that dogmatic statement? And here's, here's something just in a quick response. Um, so I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've clarified. Just to make clear, yes, God has made man, mankind, male and female for his glory. 100%. That is my starting place. I don't really apologize for not making that clear in, in the article because the article was not talking about the makeup of man and gender and sexuality. The article was talking about the usage of language and preferred pronouns. And I've written, I've written that and made that clear in other aspects of my writing. Um, and then the second thing that I want to make clear is we're not, we're not redefining like what you can, you know, 
oh, now I don't know. Like, does he, she mean a, a lady or does it mean a man? No, like, obviously these, these are, these are referring to women, to men. The question is when somebody is language malleable, something we can use, even when we understand it to be a certain way, can you use language in a different way in order to build a bridge and connect with somebody? Um, so an example, there's a, there's a number of examples that I give in the article. I'm, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, still listening to this after 10 minutes, you've probably read the article and maybe have some similar questions, but I, I mentioned Paul's usage where he changes what the, what God, what deity is being referred to, whether that's a Greek God or whether it's Yahweh. Um, but another example is when Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, right? So Jesus is clearly referring to mankind shall not live by bread alone. So men and women, but in our English translations, it's not translated mankind. It's not translated people shall live, shall not live by bread alone, but by the word, the, every word of God. Um, our English translations translate it, man shall not live by bread alone. So does that mean it's not true for women? Does that mean uh, the translators were lying if they're, if they're translating it just with the male pronoun? No, no, we, we accept that. We understand that a pronoun can be used for, for a variety of meanings and subjects. And so to take it rigidly in that way is, is somewhat foolish. Uh, understand the context, understand what, who's being talked to, what's being talked about, what are we discussing here? And so in the context of somebody who is identifying as transgender is it sinful to meet them where they're at and just honor their choice of pronoun and engage with them use that as a bridge of engaging with them on deeper matters that's kind of the question we're we're wrestling with here and so kind of the basic place to start you know i guess I, I read Rosaria Butterfield or anybody else. There's a Jared Moore that has also done some writing on this, talked about it. And their explanations for why it is sinful, it's not sufficient to me. Um, again, let's, let's stand with the word of God. Is it sinful for fundamentalist culture warring, the agenda on the fundamentalist right? Oh yeah, it is sinful, right? <laughs> like that contrarily conflicts with their purposes and their agenda. But in terms of what scripture lays out as being sinful, where where do we get the idea that this is sinful? Now, there's maybe two areas where somebody might think that this it makes using preferred pronouns sinful. Um, the one area is sexual immorality is listed as a sin. And to that, I would say 100% sexual immorality is sin. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, uh, Revelation also talks about like different places. Scripture mentions sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, another 
places you're not supposed to lie, right? Like that seems to be kind of the main hinge point that a lot of people who hold to this, who hold to this position, this dogmatic position refer to is, is the fact that it's lying. And to that degree, then I guess I would like some clarity on what is lying. So lying, as I've heard many times defined in the church and in different places is um, intending to deceive. I know like every person that I have related with that has preferred pronouns and I honor their preferred pronouns, I know that they know, I know they're like, I see them as their biological gender. Um, there's no deception happening. There's no, this isn't about, are you actually a woman or are you actually a man? Like, yeah, you are. You're choosing to go by these pronouns. So I'll oblige right now and and go by those pronouns but we have had conversations around gender and sexuality so they know i understand they understand what i think of gender and sexuality and they understand that i view them as their biological gender so there's not there's not deception going on but rather there's a building a bridge to talk with them about deeper issues because the people who are at that, at least the ones that I've related with who are at this place, they don't even know what they're, what they want to do with Jesus at this point. And so as I am talking with someone and relating with them, I want to enter their life and I want to enter their story and understand this, the struggle and the pain that has gone through because just for the record, someone dealing with gender dysphoria has had incredible, incredible, maybe one of two things, maybe both, maybe more than this, but there's either pain, a lot of pain in their life, or just tremendous confusion. And that pain can come through sexual molestation. That pain can come through comments, verbal molestation, verbal abuse. I don't know if molestation for some reason that in my mind I think very sexual with that so a verbal just kind of entourage abuse that pain is inflicted that way there's a lot of confusion sometimes because of what was done to them or even just the experience they're feeling within themselves or the things they hear most of the people who I've interacted with who are wrestling through this have grown up or have some sort of knowledge experience with church and so they hear about men and women from the pulpit and, and um, I'm not sure that we're always aware of how culturally we define men and women's roles and what a man is and what a woman is and so forth and and not only that I'm not sure we're aware of how often we stereotype like it's okay that we have stereotypes like there are reasons there are stereotypes but Sometimes we talk as though it's a universal truth of all men and forget that this is a stereotype. So there may be 20% of men or women out there where this is not true of them. And they're still very much man or woman or whatever, which, whichever gender we're talking about. And so it, that creates confusion in someone's experience. And so I want to enter their life, their story, and understand what's at the heart 
of their struggle. I don't see it worth having the argument around pronouns right now, because if we have an argument there, they're going to walk. They're, they're already choosing to identify the way that they are. Again, there are contexts in which I, in which I would say, no, I think it's, I think it's okay to, to just hold firm and be, Hey, this is, this is what pronouns we're going to refer to you as. But, but when it comes to peer to peer relationships, uh, when it comes to adults who this has not come about rapidly, but it's been a, the people who I've talked with, it's six to 10 year struggle that they've been processing through trying to identify. I didn't necessarily know seven years ago or five years ago that they were sorting through this, but now I do. Now I realize, oh, this was something that was going on inside. And so I want to understand their story, where they're coming from. And as we talk and as we interact, like I will talk with them about sexual immorality, right? I will talk with them about truth and honesty and integrity and living, living with integrity. And um, I have, like, this isn't just theory for me. Like I have, I have done this. This isn't a pontification around certain topics, which to be entirely forthright, it feels like to, to people who are dogmatic around this, it, it can feel sometimes like my question is, do you have relationships with people who are going through this experience? Not, I don't say that because I think that if you did, then you would see everything just like me. No, the more I, I say that because I think you'd have a better handle of what the issue actually is. The fundamental matter of the created dichotomy of the sexes that activists are seeking to blur, and sadly that many Christians are also helping to blur. I'm not entirely sure what that means, what that refers to, and it signals to me that this person, this individual, has been engaging this conversation more through the third party of of talk show hosts, you know, commentators, social or political commentators, and not through the the matter of like firsthand accounts and in relationships. You know, even, even <laughs> a couple of years ago, the Matt Walsh vid, uh, documentary thing around what is a woman came out, and it's like apparently there are camps and there are worlds where these extreme views of like, I don't know, what is a woman? You know, it's, it's kind of whatever you want to call it. Like that is, I acknowledge that is an extreme progressive. There are groups like that, right? But most of the people, at least most of the ones that I've engaged with and interacted with, they're not confused around what is a woman and what is a man. They're just confused around what they are because the way we talk about what a woman is, what a man is, and some of the the underlying narratives around gender don't align with their human experience. And so I think it's it it behooves us to to really simplify our definition of gender, even to the point of being very careful around the stereotypes that we project on people. Um, I do think a lot of at least Christians who 
develop a form of gender dysphoria. A lot of it happens because of the stereotypes that we have around gender roles and gender. You know, men are supposed to go out and conquer and be aggressive. Well, what, what about the guy that that's not natural? That's not, they don't even desire to do that. Like that actually feels overwhelming and depressing to, to try to gumption up that kind of personality. The way we can talk sometimes is as though they're failing in their God-given masculinity and their identity unless they gear up and have this sort of aggressive nature. No wonder people develop depression. No wonder people develop mental illness, right? Because of, of the people who I know of who are, who are still in the church following Christ, yet dealing with gender identity, sexual orientation struggles, some of them are like the most committed trying to follow God of, of the people that I know. And so that can be really psychologically wearing. I just want to clarify something because I think it came through funny. Of the people I know who are dealing with gender dysphoria, at this juncture in life, they are not walking with Jesus. So I don't personally know anybody that I'm aware of who, who is um, dealing with gender dysphoria yet wanting, outright wanting to follow Christ, which is what I was referring to are, are people dealing with sexual orientation that conflicts. So same-sex attraction or uh, not, um, uh, just slipped my mind, like when you're attracted to, to either side, to either sex. I forget the term for it. So going back to the, obviously I'm one, person like we're talking literally about i don't know 20 people maybe um you know this is a small niche group of, of people so there's many different experiences out there than what i have so i i understand that there's there's a variety of experiences out there and i i also understand that there are people teaching things that are extreme, that are preying on the vulnerable who are actually experiencing the dysphoria, the discrepancy within. Um, and so I think sometimes our, our passion around is, is actually against the people who are teaching something that is false and we get worked up over that and we forget that caught in the middle of all that is a is a group of people, people actually going through human experience. And my concern is, wait a second, are we, are we combating a false teaching with a proper teaching embodied with the, the way Jesus related with people? Um, and as opposed to just engaging in a war of words and ideology, because I don't, um, first of all, you're not, you're not going to convince anybody of the other ideology. Obviously, I, there again, I'm speaking in general generalities. Like, yeah, there will be one or two obscure people who's like, oh, yeah, you know, you really got me and I changed. No, most arguments, you're not convincing anybody to change their mind. And you're going to end up running over the people who are actually dealing with these things firsthand. And so this is where 
This is where that comes from. I believe the the fact that we don't hear about, at least in the circle, in the corner of the church that I circle in most frequently, the fact that we don't hear about people dealing with gender dysphoria until they're out is a sign that something has to change around the way we talk and engage this issue. Because the church ought to be a place where people can wrestle through these things without feeling like their existence is about to be condemned and that they are about to be held at arm's length and alienated because of, of the questions they're sorting through and the things they're fighting through. Anyways, I don't know if that brings clarity or maybe it just makes people more disappointed, but I wanted to share this and, and hope that it can 